Spurs point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. And today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your first order. Like I said, it's Mailbag Monday. If you want to get involved, here's how you do it. Just tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich. You don't have to wait for me to ask questions, but on Monday morning, I will send out a tweet soliciting questions. You can respond to that tweet. But like I said, you don't have to wait. Just send me a tweet when you're thinking of it, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. If you are not a Twitter user, there is an email address. Send an email to LockedOnBlazersPod, that's LockedOnBlazersPod, at gmail.com. And look, there was a time when I wasn't good at remembering to check the email, but I'm, I'm on it now. I've, I've got the system down. So uh, you email me there, you can get on the show. Let's get right into it. This first question comes from Logan Gillis. Logan asks, if you could ghostwrite the autobiography of any former Blazer, who would you choose? So I thought about doing someone that I spent time around, like a, a player that I was sort of familiar with. Uh, I kind of came into the Blazers media scene at the end of the Brandon Roy era, at the end of the Brandon Roy, um, his time. And I was started regularly on the beat uh, during LaMarcus Aldridge's final season with the team, spent, you know, the past five years covering Damian Lillard uh, and his era with the team. So I thought about somebody from then. Um, but those, not that those are like a bunch of boring dudes. There's plenty of wonderful stories to tell, but I think the thing that I would find most interesting would be to write the autobiography of Arvidas Serbonis. Uh, I think his decision not to come over right away would be a fascinating tale to write from his perspective, uh, why he chose to stay in Europe. I think the reasons are relatively obvious, but the, but maybe in retrospect, he would have some some special insight and what it meant to be what it means to be sort of the figure he became here. And he certainly played in quite an era, an era of a great deal of success and then ushered in by a great deal of chaos that that followed it um, and kind of circled around it the whole time. So Arvita Savonis, I'd love to write that autobiography. It would be fascinating. Next question comes from David DeVrind. At DJD squared 503 on Twitter, who asks, The Trailblazers started charging season ticket holders last month for the 2020-21 season. What do you figure are the chances I am actually able to use my tickets next year? Also, why do you figure they haven't refunded season ticket holders for the remaining games in the current season? I'm going to take these in reverse order. The reason they haven't fund, refunded you for the remaining games is because the NBA will not give up on those remaining games. They have not canceled a single game. What they have done is delayed the season, put it on hold, put it on hiatus. And the league makes its money by you, David DeVrind, and your family, your people, buying tickets and going to games and upgrading to a suite and buying a second beer and getting dinner and then getting your kids dessert and then buying a jersey and then buying a fourth jersey and then you know they 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 need you in the building you are uh estimated by adam silver 40 percent of their revenue is from ticket sales and in arena money 
So the league is not ready to give that away. They're not going to give that back. I believe Shams Tarani was the first to report this of The Athletic. The NBA has given teams sort of the go-ahead to to start looking into what refunds might be. But the league also hasn't canceled the games. And without an official word on if those games are going to exist, you're not going to see a refund. Because um, this is a, it's a, it's a money-making business, David. Your second question. Or your first question, but I'm taking it second. What do you figure are the chances that you're actually a- actually able to use your season tickets next year? I think it's pretty high. Um, you know, if the season starts in December, like if it starts around Christmas, I think I don't think that's an absolute n- guarantee. But let's assume that it, it runs its normal schedule and we're playing basketball games, you know, into the spring of next year. I'd say there's a good chance we'll have fans in attendance of sporting events in in the spring. I don't know if it's 95%. I don't think it's that. I'm not sure it's 75%, but I bet I would say that like for me, I don't I think this is a priority of Americans for whatever reason, so I say slightly higher than not. 51% you'll get to use a portion of your season tickets next year, David. Next question comes from Edmund Dantes at StopCOVID19 now on Twitter. That is a very topical Twitter handle, Edmund. Edmund asks, over the years, what would you say are the two Blazer teammates who are also best of friends? So I don't want to talk about um, teams that I didn't cover because I think the friendship stuff gets overblown by media members and by uh, nostalgia for stuff. And just by the way, like the passage of time, like there was this thing that Jason Quick wrote once during um, LaMarcus Aldridge's, the end of LaMarcus Aldridge's run about how he was close friends with Wesley Matthews. And that kind of just like took on a life of its own. And then everyone started saying that like LaMarcus is his best friend on the team, Wes Matthews, or his his very close friend, Wes Matthews, like Bleacher Report and like sort of the big websites would kind of pick that up, that phrasing up from like a little kind of just like a throwaway line in a story quick wrote that was like, yeah, these dudes are friends. They're friendly. They, you know, um, the way anyone could be friends with LaMarcus at that stage in his life. LaMarcus famously went on to say that his best, his favorite teammate playing with the Blazers was Alonzo G, who played 22 games at the very end of LaMarcus's career with the Blazers after nine seasons. Just a truly epic answer. So I don't want to talk about stuff that I don't know about. Like, I don't know how friendly Clyde and Terry were when they played together. I don't know. I don't have a good sense of who Stacey Ogman's best friend was when he was on the team. I don't even really have a good sense of um, how close the guys right before I, I was there. Like, I don't have, I have a good sense that Brandon Roy wasn't great friends with a lot of dudes, like close homies. But I, I don't have a great sense of, like, who was friendly in that locker room just because I wasn't in that locker room. And I think the obvious answer here is Damon CJ. I think that's kind of what maybe people are, maybe this question is is guessing. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Edmund, but I think maybe that's what when people heard this question, they would guess. It's Damon CJ. They're super pals. I think they're really good friends. I also think Dame is someone who makes friends really well because he's a genuine dude. He's very close friends with Tim Frazier. He's very close friends with uh, Ed Davis, very close friends with Evan Turner. So I'm going to say the best friends, player teammates who are best friends, I'm going to pick... Will Barton and Thomas Robinson, two dudes who are very, very genuinely good pals. And one of the ways that you make friends in the NBA is that you have a really similar situation. Both kind of stuck out of the rotation, trying to work their way in. Um, you know, T-Rob came over as a as kind of a failed lottery pick. Will Barton was a guy who slipped to the second round. They were both kind of on the outskirts when they got here, trying to grind their way to an NBA career. 
They are legitimately very good friends and remain friends to this day. So that's my answer, Edmund. Thanks for the question. This next one comes from ADAM at Real Mike Stand on Twitter who asks, Who is the best player in NBA history named Adam? People want to know. So I'm going to say it's Adam Keefe who narrowly edges out Adam Morrison and easily edges out rookie Adam Makoka. Adam Makoka still writing his story could be the greatest Adam in NBA history. But I'm going to go with Adam Keefe, the 10th overall selection out of Stanford in the 1992 NBA draft, drafted by the Atlanta Hawks, went on to play nine seasons for Atlanta, Utah, and Golden State. He spent six seasons with the Jazz, and his best year came in 1997-98 when he averaged 7.8 points and 5.5 rebounds, started 75 of 80 games for Utah that year. Jazz were the best team in the NBA, um, a dude who starts in the best team in the NBA is good, even with meager numbers. Um, he, I remember him just uh, playing in those playoff games, playing against... I didn't remember him as a starter. He started the final three games of the 1998 NBA Finals. That is not my memory. I remember Greg Ostertag in that spot, or Antoine Carr, but... but you know, that's why Basketball Reference exists and you don't rely just solely on my memory. But Adam Keefe, a key player on that Jazz team that made back-to-back finals, you know, his, his best season came came when they were the best team in the NBA and, and uh, could have beaten Michael Jordan. Check out Adam Keefe on uh, upcoming episodes of The Last Dance. I imagine he'll feature not particularly prominently in episode nine of that documentary of sorts but yeah you'll probably see him in there greatest adam of all time also before we go to the second segment i want to shout out to edward adam davis the best blazer who has the middle name adam in franchise history second segment would come back and answer more of your questions but first i want to tell y'all more about built bar built bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar if you have eaten protein bars before you probably don't think they taste great I'm here to tell you, this one tastes great. It's just yummy. All the bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and chewy, they're delicious, and they come in 16 amazing flavors. Eight chocolate and nut, so if you like chocolate and peanut butter, they got one in there for you. But also they have eight chocolate and nut-free flavors. So you're looking for chocolate raspberry or maybe a chocolate caramel? That's in there, that's waiting for you in the box. And like I said, they are delicious. And they're also great for the health conscious among us. You're trying to cut down on snacking, maybe lose or maintain your weight that you're at right now, but you still want to indulge in a delicious treat? Well, grab a Bill Bar. Because it's low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, high in fiber. It just tastes good. And it's a healthier option than a lot of other choices you could make when you're looking in your pantry. So here's how you get one. Go to, or get several even, go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Okay. Let's keep it rolling here on Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Rip Riles at Riles Rip on Twitter who asks, Mike, I'm curious your thoughts on a random hypothetical. Rip Riles, you know I love random hypotheticals. That's the backbone of this show. Which former all-star who played for Portland past their prime would you draft for next season? Cayman, Carmelo, etc. Oh man. So do I get so I get let me say, I'll set the parameters of this hypothetical because you didn't have enough 
space in your tweet, and you're not going to send a follow-up tweet. Um, this seems straightforward to you, but to me, it's a little more complicated. I'm going to assume that I cannot choose LaMarcus Aldridge because he was an all-star that was in his prime. Like, he made the all-star team with the Blazers, so he, he doesn't count, right? Yeah, right. That's perfect. You nailed it, Mike. Great way to understand it. So it has to be a all-star that came to the Blazers post-prime, and I assume you get that player in, in his post-prime stage. So it's it's the Chris came in after he was an all-star and, and Carmelo in the late stages of his career. I am going to pick Steve Smith. Uh, I think maybe Pippen was the way I should have gone, but I kind of think Pippen would want to handle the ball a lot, like post like Pippen in his in his Blazer era was kind of like, from what I understand, a little bit hard to deal with ego wise, um, and wanted the ball in his hands, like wanted to play point guard. Um, maybe, maybe didn't get along great with Damon Stoudemire, and in, in because of that, um, I think we'll, we'll wait for the Jailblazers documentary or whatever we're going to call that documentary, the turn of the century Blazers documentary to figure out more to learn, you know, the real stories. But from what I've heard, I think I don't think Pippen was super easy to deal with when he showed up in Portland. So I'm going to pick Smitty. I'm going to pick Steve Smith. Uh, he's six, eight. He can play on the wing. He's got a little bit of individual offense. He was a smart team defender. He seems like just like a good dude who would kind of fit with the program here in Portland. And I think if, assuming it's like some sort of time travel thing, I think Portland adding another 30 plus year old former good uh, forward with his best days behind him would fit with their MO of the last few months. Okay, moving on. Next question comes from Cannon Norton at the Canundrum on Twitter. I believe Cannon migrated over from uh, Gmail to Twitter, which is definitely the wrong direction. I appreciate the question, Cannon, but for those of you considering migrating, go the other way. Go from Twitter to Gmail. Twitter is the one that has a lot of bad vibes, and Gmail doesn't have any vibes at all. Okay, but in any case, the question from Cannon Norton, the, the underscore Canundrum on Twitter. You mentioned you enjoy the Blazers, but you're not a Blazer homer. Who is the team of your heart and why? You may have mentioned it before. Apologies if I missed it. Uh, I think I have talked about this a little bit, but that hasn't stopped me from answering questions in this podcast that I've answered a version of in the past. Uh, I don't I don't root for any NBA team. Uh, I, I just, um, I, I didn't really grow up with it. So I grew up in Chapel, North Carolina. I'm a a very big Carolina basketball fan. Uh, and, and that has stayed with me and probably will always be with me. Hopefully will always be with me, but I don't have much of an emotional connection to the NBA. The Hornets weren't a big deal in Chapel Hill. Um, they were the like 17th most important professional sports team during my childhood, like behind the Atlanta Braves straight up, like Atlanta Braves baseball, much more popular in Durham and Chapel Hill than, uh, Hornets basketball when I was a kid in the nineties. Um, but so I didn't really have that. I didn't really have a NBA connection. Um, you know, when, when I was younger, like when Vince Carter and Anton Jameson went to the pros or Jerry Stackhouse and, um, Rasheed Wallace went to the pros, both those guys, both those duos, like they went early. So it was more like sad that they were in the NBA because it was, you know, them leaving school after two years. But I do, I love the NBA. I'm more of a, I'm more of a fan of players. Like I'll just pick players. I'm like, Oh, I, I really like Terrence Ross. I really like Sean Livingston, you know, uh, I, you know, i and I'll just watch the hell out of those teams that I really enjoy. Really like Fred Van Vliet. I, I like, I started watching the Toronto Raptors on league pass because I liked the way they played. And then I spent basically, you know, I, 
during their championship run, I'd probably watch 55 of the regular season games just because I really enjoyed OG Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet. And then eventually I really enjoyed Marcus Saul on that team. So I kind of picked players and followed them. Um, but the team of my heart is definitely Carolina basketball. Uh, I'll always love and follow the NBA probably closely, but uh, I just... And I don't mean this in some sort of holier-than-thou stupid media thing where it's like, I don't root for a team. Like, I just don't have an emotional connection to it. Um, if anything, I'm mostly annoyed with the Blazers because uh, either they made my media access annoying or, um, or like, they're on a hot streak and I have to uh, listen to various members of the Blazers organization brag about how good they are. Next question comes from PDX Romper, who asks, North Korea rules basketball. Dennis Rodman and the glorious leader bring it to the United States. Are the Blazers better, worse? Who's the, who's the new MVP? Okay, so I thought, I, I didn't understand this this question when I first looked at it, but luckily I have access to the internet, so I was able to go to an internet web browser and type in the words North Korea basketball. And I found that this is like a real, a, a real proposed thing by Kim Jong-un. Um, I'm not sure how serious this is or whether it was ever played, but here are the rules. They seem to be, according, I read this in the Daily Mail, according to the Daily Mail, the rules were introduced sometime around 2006 when uh, Kim Jong-il was still alive and in power, um, and he was known as a basketball fan, and Kim Jong-un seems to be maybe the person who's who has a relationship with Dennis Rodman and was, um, and is like known to be a big hoops fan. Maybe he was the guy who, who helped usher this in in 2006, but here are the rules. A slam dunk is worth three points, and a three-pointer that doesn't touch the rim is a four-pointer, and also a basket made in the last three seconds is worth eight points. So I think the Blazers are are worse. They're not, just not a very Duncan team. They don't dunk that much. Uh, I think they would have a slight advantage because they make they sh- they their best players shoot threes, and maybe if there was an incentive for them to swish, maybe they could figure that out. But, like, CJ doesn't shoot an inordinate number of threes. Um, there was that brief period when Dame was making six threes a game. Um, you know, I don't know if I don't know how you const- exactly constitute one that doesn't touch the rim. A lot of them seem to go in perfectly, but it's because c- they kind of hit the back rim and they shoot straight down. So it's hard to for- totally categorize, a, like, a perfect swish. Like, I, I don't know if I could track that on sports view or whatever, but I think this makes the Blazers a little bit worse because the guys who score most of their points aren't dunkers. Um, not much though. Like they're, they'll still be there. Like Hassan Whiteside dunks. Um, maybe you change like a couple fast break layups into dunks for CJ. Same with Carmelo Anthony, but in general, like they just, they're a jump shooting team. So this isn't going to value, this isn't going to skew their value too much. And in like the grand scheme of shooting threes, they're not even in the sort of high end of you know, top five teams who shoot threes are not shooting 45 a game like uh, the Rockets, so they're not going to up their swish numbers. The new MVP is the old MVP, though. If dunks are worth three, the dude who dunks like Shaq, Giannis Antetokounmpo, is going to rack up three-pointers. That said, like, the Bucks are going to be awesome. They spread the floor and just try to let Giannis dunk. They have a bunch of shooters. Uh, they employ Kyle Korver. I feel like his value goes up in a swish-based contest. So I think the, I think, the, like, Maybe unintentionally, this game made the uh, best team in the league better. All right, third segment. Come back and close out the show with more of your questions. But first, I want to tell you all about Blinkist. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. However, there is an incredible app that solves this problem. It's called Blinkist. 
Here's how Blinkist works. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down to just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now and has a massive growing library. From self-help, business, health to history, Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists as well as classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had time to. And Blinkist works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. So listen, you're busy, you want to learn something in 15 minutes, Blinkist is the way to do it. And with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. And they got a special offer just for my audience. Here's what you do. You go to Blinkist.com NBA, try it for free for seven days, and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash MBA to start your seven-day free trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Lockdown Blazers and it's still Mailbag Monday. Let's keep it rolling with more of your questions to close out the show here in this third segment. This next one comes from Tim A. At PDX Tim A. on Twitter who asks, I've noticed a lot of fans seem surprised when they read when they read reports that NBA players don't have fitness equipment or basketball courts at home. Can you walk through why that's the case? And would an old-fashioned portable hoop on the driveway help to keep an NBA player game ready? Helps me stay game ready. Just kidding, I don't have a hoop in my driveway. I too, I too am without a hoop during quarantine. Um, so here, here's why players don't have a basketball hoop or a or a gym at home. One, players make different amount, different differing amounts of money. Not every player, CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, making a quarter billion dollars, 250 mil, and can purchase a home and customize it how they want. In addition, people, these guys move frequently. And I think that's the thing that really is the problem here is that guys aren't in NBA cities for three and four seasons where they could put down roots, purchase a home that has everything they want. In fact, they might just be there for a few months in the case of Carmelo Anthony and Trevor Ariza, where they're renting a condo or they're renting a a temporary space that they'll move to in the summer or they know that they're not going to stay there in the summer so they don't need anything they just need an apartment close to the practice facility because these things don't happen even cj mccollum i believe he recently moved into this house he bought but he bought it knowing that he can leave whenever he wants and go to the pf or go to the arena and shoot so guys don't have basketball courts at their house because either they aren't in a in a situation financially where they can just buy a home and with either that has a full setup of court or they're not in a locale long enough to perf their scene, so to speak. Uh, and would an old-fashioned hoop in the driveway help keep an NBA player game ready? No, it wouldn't. I think what like what these guys need is not available at their house, right? Like they don't, it's not just like, to shoot, it's to shoot and go against NBA caliber defenders, or at least uh, run through things with coaches. Like if they're just working on skill work in an environment where they can really do that. Having like a modified half court setup in your house doesn't really do doesn't really get that done. You can't. Um, it's just you just can't simulate what it is that you need. And maybe if you're there, you don't have. Maybe if you do have a half court set up you know you got the you got the rollout hoop in the in the 
driveway, you don't have the recovery things you need. You don't have a steam room or a sauna at your house. You don't have a cold tub to take care of your body. So you just can't, you know, there's a reason why these professional facilities exist is because the, the, you know, these guys trade in their physical bodies. That's like, that is the commodity that they have um, in the NBA world and that there's a lot of maintenance that goes into it. So while I think the hoop in the driver would help maintain some level of uh, mental stability, you wouldn't go, you know, you've, you've been playing basketball your whole life. You've been playing it daily since you were 12 and this is your first extended break from it. I think hoop in the driver would help you kind of maintain, manage your sort of mental health aspects of life. Uh, I don't think it would keep you NBA ready. Um, Also, a lot of NBA guys just say practice doesn't do it. Like you can sharpen your skills in practice, but you got to play to get ready. Some some NBA players, I've heard estimate that it takes them, you know, 15 games to get into game shape, to get into like, you know, their body ready to play basketball every other day for six months. Just as an aside, I know that the Blazers have done, uh, made a lot of efforts to get guys what they can what they can use in in um, while they're at home. Uh, you know, the PF has opened up so guys can go there for voluntary workouts. But before that happened, the Blazers were doing things like um, sending guys exercise bikes if they needed it. Uh, their health and performance team was doing Zoom calls to kind of um, either go the, go through weightlifting or body, body weight workouts or yoga or whatever it is, you know, anything you can sort of do with a fitness type lead class in front of you. So they were, the Blazers were trying to mitigate some of this, but um, if you don't have a hoop and you don't have another NBA player to play against, it's hard to get better and maintain your skills to some extent. Thanks for the question, Timmy. This next question comes from Logan Gillis, who asks, if you could mic up one of the Blazers players during games for TV broadcasts, who would it be? And you can't say Anthony Tolliver. Why the hell would I pick Anthony Tolliver? Am I known as someone who wants to hear what Anthony... Is that, do I have a reputation as wanting more Anthony Tolliver tidbits? Uh, Anthony Tolliver was really positive. A great interview. Enjoyed him, but not who I, not even close to who I want to hear during the game. The person I want to hear during the game is Carmelo Anthony. One, Carmelo Anthony yells expletives when he grabs rebounds for no reason. That would be fun to have mic'd up. Two, um, I think NBA vets are good to mic up because other younger players are going to mine them for information. And I would love to know, like, when Kyle Kuzma or whatever saddles up to uh, Carmelo Anthony during a free throw and what he asks him and what he's, you know, what he's picking his brain about, what he's learning from him. Three, Carmelo Anthony was, there was a time during the regular season when Carmelo Anthony was just just verbally assaulting Hassan Whiteside on the court, just straight up screaming at Hassan to do things. I would love to hear those things, and I would love to hear Hassan's responses. Also, um, Dame and Mello uh, chat about things on the court all the time. I would love to know what the two best players were um, were, were chatting about, and I think not choosing not choosing Dame just because I want more comedic effect. I want to know what um, what kind of I want to hear. I want to hear Carmelo swear at. I want to hear Carmelo just yell, get the F out of here, um, while trying to grab a uncontested rebound. And, and then I want some other bonuses, so I get them both. Melo's my answer. Next question comes from PDX Romper, who asks, if NBA revenue is in the tank, one, can the salary cap drop? And two, how would it affect the Blazers slash our prospects work worse if it doesn't go up? Yeah, um, the, the salary cap is tied to revenue. So the NBA is estimated by NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. He said roughly 40% of our revenue is generated from selling tickets and 
and the activities that happen in the arena. That's a quote from Adrian Wojnarowski, a story he wrote today on ESPN.com. And uh, that's what Adam Silver told the national, the NBA PA, uh, the Players Association, on a conference call last Friday. So he's saying, okay, listen, we're going to lose billions of dollars perhaps by not playing these games because getting people in the arena is big money and also showing the games on tv is big money and if you don't have games to show on tv if the games don't exist you're not getting the ad revenue off television you're having there's some deal has to be worked out with turner and espn and you know disney and all that and uh and you're just not making the revenue gate revenue from people being in the arena typically the nba and the nba pa get together and they calculate the new salary cap between the NBA draft and the start of free agency. Usually it leaks out like the last week of June. Somebody sends out a tweet and says, here's what I've seen is the projected salary cap. Um, And that's basically what NBA teams get. uh, Hey, it's not finalized, but this is the number we're looking at so you can set your books. But the NBA is looking at a scenario where... there's going to be a massive loss of revenue and the there's because revenue determines the salary cap uh it, they basically take the previous year's revenue and a projection of the following year's revenue and that's how they set the following year's uh salary cap but they don't exactly know what this season's revenue is going to be there's a chance that next season revenue has some or all of it without fans in the stadium i know i said more than likely they'll have fans in the stadium but let's let's say part of the season has fans you miss you know f- half half the games don't have fans in them that's a huge loss revenue so we're talking billions of dollars loss and some teams according to adrian wojanowski fear that the cap the cap and tax threshold could fall as by as much as 30 million dollars so basically the league and the union need to negotiate a new mechanism for the cap for how to determine the cap because the current collective bargaining agreement does not have a mechanism for extended pandemic what do we do if we can't base the ca- base the salary cap on revenue. Uh in that scenario where the cap and the luxury tax threshold were to fall by 30 million dollars they're tied to each other. Uh that means that the league could 25 of the 30 teams in the league including the Trailblazers would be trapped or would be saddled with luxury tax payments. The Blazers are are basically, they're projected probably not to be a cap team next year. And I think very intentionally, they were setting up next season to not be a, ta- a team that pays the salary, excuse me, that pays the luxury tax because then they, they're they going to kick in big money salaries after that. And then they're going to start being a tax team into perpetuity. So not being a tax team next season would allow them to uh, avoid the repeater tax. We're kind of getting in the weeds a little bit, but it was important that the Blazers not be a luxury tax team next season for them financially. That was part of their planning from my perspective, just based on the way they've built this roster. It looks like they were trying to avoid being a tax team next year. But if the, if the tax threshold drops $30 million, that's bad news for them. That's bad news. They might not only be a tax team, they might be a tax team with a hefty hefty luxury tax bill. And the the way it works is escalating tax. You pay a certain amount of tax on up to 10 million, you pay a certain amount of tax above 10 million, certain amount of tax above 20 million. Once you get over that threshold, you can start paying as much as 475 on the dollar if you're a really expensive team. Could matter for a team like Golden State, which Bobby Marks of ESPN said that their luxury tax threshold could jump from 45 million or their tax penalty, excuse me, could jump from 45 million to if the if the 
tax line were to drop by 25, 30 million bucks from 45 million to 160 million in tax penalties before free agency started. So uh, the league is teams around the league are really pushing to know this before even the draft starts because they don't it might lead to some trades if teams know, you know, we're going to be a tax team or we want to be a you know, there's different reasons why you would maybe operate as a tax team or below the tax team or just a bunch of small market teams who are just like, listen, we can't afford that. Like, we can't afford a $160 million tax penalty. We just can't. Our ownership simply cannot do it. So it would be way where it would affect the Blazers. They would likely be a tax team if it were to drop that far. That would be bad news for them, not just because the Allen estate would have to pay more money. I don't give a shit what the Allen estate pays in luxury taxes. That's for someone else to worry about, like the Allen estate. But what it, where it's a big deal is that it would limit the other tools you have to go uh, assign players. You would you would have a smaller mid-level exception. You... Um, you just have you just have less room to operate if you are above the luxury th- uh, tax line. So it would be bad news. But the thing is, it's going to be bad news for a lot of teams. So I have faith that I, I actually think the most likely scenario is that the NBA PA and the owners scrap this current CBA and rewrite a new one kind of ahead of schedule. Um, either that looks exactly the same with a pandemic clause in it or one that is that is the current one's going to expire in 2023. So they would just move up the clock to 2020 and say, let's write, let's go ahead and write it now and restart the clock. And we'll get, we'll say seven more years on this bad boy. That's going to do it for this episode. I love mailbag Monday. I hope you do too. I appreciate everyone who's involved. That's everyone who sends in questions via Twitter at Mike G rich on email which is LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Or simply, if you just listen every week or you listen once in a while, I appreciate you just the same. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get where they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate listening. Talk to you soon.